We're the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, the thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, well, I was always told if you don't have anything nice to say, uh, don't say anything. So that'll just about wrap us up for this week. Not kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I, um, that was awful. That, I mean, I, I just, I just want to really, really bad. I just want to say that my two favorite things in the world, other than my family, are Northwestern football and Team USA soccer. And this is one of the lowest weeks I have ever had. This is this is really bad. And I'm not even saying that from a joking perspective. I'm just... The two teams I care about the most are both in really, really bad places right now, and it's not fun. So, Northwestern loses to Penn State 31-7 to in a game that seemed like it was kind of close and and what's really what's really rough about this game and before we dive into all of the criticisms which I know we have quite a bit of the defense did not deserve what they got out of this game the defense played really really well they held Saquon Barkley completely in check uh save for one run that you know Godwin got blocked by the official and one not just not assignment. just blocked but tripped. <laughs> uh and and that was Barkley's only long run. You know, we had him under control. I I never felt like they were running away from us. I mean, except that they were running away from us by walking very slowly. Uh because we were completely unable to do anything offensively whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I obviously everyone's been batting this back and forth, and you know, a lot of people are calling for Mick McCall's head, and and obviously, I think we're gonna go go into that in depth um, because I think there are a couple different ways to come at that. But um, you know, I think everyone is kind of coalesced around the a couple of major things, which is one, I think, you know, yes, receiver separation is an issue, and that was an issue that we talked ad nauseum during the Duke game about that being an issue. Um, and Talked you about know, it last yeah. week as well after Wisconsin. Sure. And you could make the argument about Justin Jackson being banged up. I am not a big subscriber to that. I just, I, I, you know, I, I'm just not seeing a huge difference between him. I just think because he's generally being put up in a position to fail because drum roll, our offensive line is really, really bad. And the, I mean, yes, we've played a couple good defenses in a row. I mean, you could say great defenses in a row, but I mean, even still, just this two game example, just in stark relief of just how bad the offensive line is performing right now is it's, it's just a train wreck. Yeah. I, there's a part of me that wants to like try and parse this game and figure out when the turning point was, because there was, there was certainly a point in the game where, you know, early on we moved the ball a little bit, but Clearly, our O-line was not getting the type of push that we hoped against a you know, defensive line, a defensive front from Penn State that is not as good as the one we played the week before uh, at Wisconsin. But even at halftime, right, like at halftime, I mean, you could quibble with, you were frustrated that we had zero points on the board, certainly. 
but it it didn't feel like a disaster yet. No, um, it, it felt like, okay, this is a better team, and we're hanging with them, and we're controlling it, and we just need, like, we need to get on the board. So what did, well, we, and, do, what did we do coming out of the halftime? Three and out, three and out, three and out, four and out. And it was it was somewhere out. in there, Sam, in the beginning, in the early part of the third quarter, because Penn State scored again and started to move the ball a little bit better through the air. Um, I I'm stunned at the job the defense did on Saquon Barkley, but w- what what I felt like you started to see is is and and I've brought this up before, like Clayton gets to this place where he feels like he needs to be doing more, he needs to be attacking downfield, he is squeezing the ball. He is not feeling the pressure and getting rid of it. And like everything just starts to compound on itself. I think, I think this is where the wide receiver separation piece is a problem because he can't, he can't see any windows he feels good about. Then he's like, well, what if I wait another second? And then it's too late. And he got to the point where he couldn't even hit an open receiver or a a marginally covered one. Um, the only thing that worked all day was, you know, little check downs. He, I, you know, he ended up having some, some bigger passes down the, down the, uh, the track towards the end of the game. He hit Skoranek on a, on a big one at one point and uh, Jace James had a 25 yarder, but it was, it, it was just a, like a, like a, like a slow moving train that started to go off the tracks. Um, would, would that be the official definition of a boat race? No, I don't think cause it, cause again, like Penn state never, they never exerted their will offensively. I didn't feel like, you know, it wasn't like, like oh, absolutely, they didn't exert it at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, like that feels, you know, yeah, we got blown out, right? But it's because we couldn't do anything on O, and and our defense eventually tired out. It's not like they, you know, hit the ground going sixty miles an hour, and we we were you know done before we got through the first quarter. Um, I don't know. It just it was. And I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything because, um, believe you me, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get I'm gonna have a hard time not getting vulgar on this podcast. But um, I don't know, like like the the final score, it, it, you felt like there were just tons of missed opportunities. I think I tweeted at halftime like, "Wow, that was a half of missed opportunities." I think I think we had a missed field goal. Um, we had a couple of, of uh, you know barely misses on on bigger plays and short yardage situations, etc. I thought it was interesting the jumbo package that failed against uh, Wisconsin actually worked against Penn State. But I guess ultimately, for me, it comes down to the results. We're not getting the results. We're seeing like incremental improvements in little places, and then we're seeing you know setbacks in other places. But overall, the results suck. So I, I think you know just, I, I was talking about all the three and outs coming out of the half, and actually C.J. Bechet had a really interesting article up on I think it was Rivals, uh, you know, Northwestern's Rivals site. Um, talking about, you know, how the offense, you know, even though, even not doing anything, they did nothing quickly. So, you know, three and out a one minute drive, three and out a 50 second drive, three and out a 50 second drive. You know, the defense never had an opportunity to catch their breath. You know, the, the offense couldn't sustain anything to let the defense rest. So, you know, I mean, can you imagine how like he's on the field? Can you imagine how well the defense would have played if the offense would have given him any help? I maintain the defense played a great game in this game. I was going to be so mad if Penn State was going to go from thirty-one to thirty-eight at the beginning of this game because I was like, the defense deserves uh, such a better. I mean, we've got a great defensive line. 
We've got probably one of the better defensive lines in the Big Ten. We don't have a speed edge rusher like Afadi, but we've got two great young ends and a meaty, powerful defensive tackle. Um, and it's just a shame that that we don't have the same thing on the other side of the ball. It's funny, Sammy. Uh, Bechet, I thought, made one fantastic point. I thought overall most of his points kind of echoed what we've been saying on the pod for the past couple of weeks. One fantastic point that he made, though, is uh, just... Austin Carr's value, you just can't quantify how important he was to last year's team. And I think maybe, you know, myself, I'll, you know, us, but certainly me personally, maybe you're a little guilty of giving that short shrift. And maybe it was because he was only a one year starter for us. But you're talking about a guy who finished third in the Bolitnikoff and, and, um, is a current New Orleans Saint wide receiver. And Bechet was just like, look, this guy, he was just always open. He got open all the time. And Thorson was just able to lock onto him. So even if the pressure was hard, you know, Thorson had a place where he knew he could dump the ball. And, you know, I feel like maybe he wants that to be Garrett Dickerson this year. I think um, he wants that to be Bennett Skoranek this year. Yeah, that, 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 that was my targets too. to Bennett Skoranek when he's not feeling good with the with the pocket, et cetera. Right, and I mean, I mean, the only real offensive play we had um, was the the rollout where he found Skoranek on kind of the broken play, um, and that was really our only long pass play of the day. But you know, it's just Austin Carr was a, a fantastic receiver. And I think kind of the flip side and kind of the sobering way to look at this is if Austin Carr hadn't emerged last season, things may have been very different. Um, because, you know, the, they're just, we don't have that same quality of player in our receiver core right now. And it's, it's making a huge difference. Yeah. Yes. And no, I, I agree with, I, I agree with the, with the point to a certain extent. And then I look at a guy like Flynn Nagel, who is not getting targeted nearly as often as I would expect him to be. I look at Garrett Dickerson, who frankly is uncoverable. I mean, we saw what he did a couple weeks ago with, with an over 100 yard gain. Now granted that was against a really, you know, terrible team, but his size, his hands, his ability to move. um, I mean, you just like against man coverage, you just have to find the right side of his body well, that's what I was going to say. Thorson tried to force it to him a couple times and the throws were off and like he, he just didn't get him the ball. Yeah, I mean, Th- Thorson's accuracy really, really slipped during the course of that game. We were doing this weird thing where I, I don't think I've ever seen Northwestern do this before, but it almost seemed purposeful. Like um, we were throwing, it wasn't quite a slant. It was like, it was like the guy was running a curl and setting up, you know, with a receipt with a defender behind him trying to box him out. But then the pass was thrown to like one side or the other and like almost in a way to try and get the receiver moving again once he caught it. And it in in real time, it looked like an almost interception every single time or or an almost incompletion. But um, it seemed purposeful enough and we repeated it enough. It felt like it was something that we had kind of practiced. But I just I, I we've. I mean, we've documented and followed the recruiting pretty closely, and I am confident that outside of Christian Jones and Kyle Prater, that we have more talent, more more athletic talent in our receiver core now on this team than we've had in the last eight years. And again, the results suck, and there's only one thing I can really point to, as the culprit at this stage. 
Yeah, no, I, I know. I, I guess it's tough because I, not to put too fine a point on it. We, we seem to recruit a lot of white wide receivers of the same general size. And I think, at least for me, it's kind of easy to go, well, like Flynn Nagel, like for Austin Carr, that's like a like-for-like replacement. But like Austin Carr is way better than Flynn Nagel. Um, and I do think like, that's at, why at, at leaping and, and probably hands, but I mean, we, we were all stoked about Flynn Nagel, not because he looked like Austin Carr, but because he's, he's shown flashes. He's got speed. No, he does. But I guess, you know, I, I do think Carr just whatever it is, I think whether it's like running routes or whatever, I just think getting open was something he was an expert at and, um, he would catch absolutely anything you could put in his general vicinity. And I'm not saying that Nagel's not a good wide receiver, but it's it's just one of those things where I think given how little time Thorson has back there and the fact that he's getting no support from the running game, both of which are offensive line issues, um, he he just he needs something something superlative to compensate for that. And last year he had it, and this year it seems like he doesn't. If if I may take a, a second stab at summing up one of the one of the things I read in 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 that interview with uh with Bechet, it was or or that article from from Bechet, it's that we can't run to set up the pass because the O line is too bad. And we can't pass to set up the run because the receivers can't get separation and the O line can't block long enough. And we're kinda left with a giant shrug emoji. So I mean, to to spin it forward a little bit, and you know, how how do we how does this change? You know, what the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. And we've been doing this over and over and over, and our complaints have been the same year in and year out. And you know, I I don't want to put this all on on McCall because I I think a, a lot of this year I've been. I've been impressed with some of the offensive play calling. Um, you know, obviously others have, have not been great, but you know, is, is this an issue of development? Is this an issue of, I mean, what, what's going on? Uh, so like, let's look at Paul Christ in Wisconsin, right? I mean, Paul Christ is known to be an, an offensive guru, but like one look at that guy and you can see where his focus is, right? He's an offensive line guy and you know that he's going to bring that, um, that kind of focus and Mick McCall's a quarterback guy. And I think that's, for better or worse, that's kind of his bread and butter. I think that's the route with which he was able to climb the coaching ladder and end up at Northwestern in the first place. And he's groomed some some great quarterbacks. And Trevor Simeon, I mean, regardless of, of you know, how things actually went during the Trevor Simeon era, I mean, like, McCall can certainly take credit for that. Um, you could you could probably argue that a lot of the issues we had in 2014 were having this year. Right, exactly. And I think one of the problems is that I think we're just not a great offensive line development school. I think a classic example of this, and I think, you know, we could go back and I think you know, I was even thinking about doing a deep dive on this and, you know, maybe we can write something on this and really go back and look at the recruiting rankings. But it's not like we're not pulling in high three-star offensive line guys regularly. And yet, when was the last time we sent an offensive lineman to the NFL? I mean, is it, I mean, I can't even remember. Was, Zach Streif. It was 05 was Zach Streif, right? Because Essex was before him, right? Right. And that that that's it. 
which is kind of stunning when you think about it, because it's not like we're failing to pull in. I mean, like Patrick Ward was a blue chipper. Um, we've pulled in a couple other guys. And to me, th- the one guy on the current team who just sums it all up is Blake Hans. Um, And not just because of his own personal situation, but because of things things that are not his fault, at least directly, that, that add to it, which is... Blake Hance is not as good as he was supposed to be. I mean, not, not to put too fine a point on it. Blake Hance was supposed to be a better player. He started earlier. He was a pretty big recruit. Um, and he was just supposed to be a guy who was a performer. And he never really panned out. He was kind of at tackle. He had a couple really bad games at tackle last season, Illinois State being, being the one that jumps out immediately. Um, and, but, and then this season, he was kind of moved into guard and, I think one of the things that's beyond that is on a lot of other teams, if Blake Hance isn't who you think he's going to be, he just doesn't play. But the problem is on Northwestern, Blake Hance isn't the only guy who isn't what we thought he was going to be. And he's still better than several of those other guys. So there's no place for him to go outside of the first string. He's still one of our best five linemen. So I think you kind of see what they did. They said, well, look, He's one of our best five guys. He's clearly not capable of of being uh, a left tackle at a high level. They tried to move him inside to guard to earlier this season. We've, you know, and at the expense of doing that, we rolled out three different tackles who had basically played no college football. Um, that has been a disaster. And now Blake Hans is back at left tackle. But again... It's well, not, and, and, and officially, it's worth pointing out because he's played at left right, tackle off and on right, throughout the first right. five or six games. Right, as you can see, we're just trying to find our way with whatever we have. But again, the ultimate point is this isn't to put it all on Blake Hans. It's like I feel like Blake Hans has become a symbol for futility out there, and Blake Hans is only playing because several other guys who could have left frogged him on the depth chart are not good enough to do it. And the bottom line is. We have a lot of guys who are high three-star guys out here on this offensive line, and they're just not hitting the next level. And, you know, and I know, Scuzz, you've talked about this before, but it's like if you're calling for Mick McCall's head, it, you're calling for his head because he's not developing offensive linemen. And, like, that's so, that's the big issue. So, well, is, so I, is, this more of an, is this more of an Adam Cushing issue? So I, I've been thinking about this a lot since since Saturday. Um and and I, I do think one of the things that, as fans, we make the mistake of doing is conflating the role of offensive coordinator and play caller with the role of, like, like someone someone who would be in that role in your office uh, in, in a corporate setting, right? If you're the offensive coordinator for a, a, a team of whatever in, in, a, in an office— you are responsible for the people underneath you that are managing the subcomponents of your team. I don't know that that's the case in a, a college football staff. I don't know that Mick McCall is responsible for Adam Cushing and Matt McPherson and Daniel Springer, etc. Those guys might report directly to Fitz, and all McCall is charged with is building the game plan, developing the quarterbacks, and calling the plays, right? That's a good, that's a good point. So... On on one hand, I am I'm very tempted to say, look, results outcomes are ultimately what matters, and the results have been shit for close to a decade. Uh, we were talking about Austin Carr versus 
uh, Flynn Nagel a little bit earlier. Zeke Barkshausen was always open. Yeah. <laughs> that guy wasn't half as athletic as anybody on the team right now. You know what I mean? Like, like something has fundamentally changed. And I've talked about, I've talked about Springer, the wide receiver coach, uh, a number of times in the last four or five years that, that when, when we made that flip from Kevin Johns to Springer, we basically traded wide receiver coaches with Indiana in 2009. We've not developed receivers like we used to, uh, since that time. That's also about the time that McCall came in on the quarterback side. But when you look at Trevor, when you look at um, that one year from from Kafka, when you look at uh, Dan Persa, it, it it's hard to say that he's a bad quarterbacks coach. His play calling on game day that's that's a difference that's a different story. And I agree with you, Sam. I think it's gotten better this year. But I guess where I where I ultimately come down is the results have been crap we are not developing players like we used to. And there seems to be the, the other piece is putting this in context of the broader college football universe. And in the broader college football universe, offenses are getting creative and multifaceted and they are, they are figuring out ways to do things with subpar talent. We have way more talent on our, on our offensive line than Purdue does. And Purdue is scoring at an insane pace this season because they have a innovative offensive minded coach. Now, they've got an innovative offensive minded head coach and I'm 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 not putting this on fits necessarily because every head coach has a personality of offense or defense and they have to put the coordinators in place to uh to support the other side of the ball, right? And but it just it feels like the end of the road, guys. And for me at this point McCall, Cushing, Springer, all three of them, like they've, they've had so much opportunity. Um, I guess the, you know, the one last thing I'll say with, with reference to what you were saying, John, about, you know, the, the guys bouncing in and out on the offensive line. I I've felt in the past that this, that this coaching staff can, uh, can have a stubborn streak and they decide, no, we will do this thing and we will keep doing this thing until we figure out how to do it. And, it feels like they got into this space last year where they they started to rotate offensive linemen um, just to see who the best five would be mid season, and they've they've continued to do it, and it just seems like mania. Um, well, I think well they they started maybe, in the off season, and, yeah, and, may, and maybe they finally bailed on it uh, in that they've you know John you made the point before we started the pod they've gone back to the starting five um, outside of right tackle who who started you know uh, in the bowl game last year. And I guess Sam, the, the other thing you mentioned is is how we spin this forward. The competition goes, you know, gets dramatically easier going forward for Northwestern, and it's very plausible we could win, you know, five of our next seven games or or more. And then what do you do? I, th- I think at that point it becomes more of a question of how serious is the program about competing for Big Ten championships versus just being competitive. I I, I hate to go in a pessimistic direction. Um, and because I agree with what you're saying, I mean, the competition's about to get significantly worse. We've put ourselves in a position where we need to win a ton of these games. I, I said, I said, might win five. I didn't yeah, say yeah, we'll win yeah, five. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, if if this line loses Tommy Doles or Brad North, it's just I don't I don't even know. Like uh, it's because it's that bad. If you look at at Nebraska, their offensive line covered is they have many more players than we do. But what happened was Nebraska was ravaged by injuries at tackle. And that in and of itself 
was enough to completely wreck the first half of their season. Nebraska's offense, Nebraska's athletic director was fired because their number one and number two right tackles were injured. Uh, yeah, their number, I don't know that that's actually true. Well, I mean, if you but, believe that he, if you believe that he'd still have his job had they beaten Northern Illinois, no. That's why he was fired. I, I I I think that was in the works long before they lost to Northern Illinois. Yeah, Mike Riley might get fired because of those maybe. two tackle injuries. You, you maybe, don't I mean, you don't can an athletic director based on a football team. At least maybe not in the, outside of the SEC. You don't, don't fire know. an athletic director based on the football team. I don't claim to be able to get inside the minds of of people in Nebraska, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't. But I mean, ultimately, the my point is that that Nebraska suffered a couple brutal injuries, and that was enough to just torch their football season. And they still haven't recovered. They're playing guys. They have two guys: one who's half hurt and one who's not hurt, who are playing at right tackle right now, who basically don't know how to play right tackle, and that's just annihilating them. They can't move the ball because they can't throw because Tanner Lee immediately sees a guy coming off the right side and then just throws it to the defender that's nearest him, and that's how their offense functions. They basically just give points to the other team. Um, but it took injuries for Nebraska to get to that place. Our line is healthy right now, basically. And if one of these guys gets hurt, uh, it's, it's just going to be a total disaster. Again, at least we're getting to play better defenses now. I, the one other thing I'll say is, and, and I do, I, you know, we kind of started here and then we got away from it, but it's worth, uh, coming back to is on the flip side, we have a defense that's pretty much playing well in all three facets right now. Um, when you consider where our secondary is considering the injuries, I mean, not too bad considering Trey Williams is playing on one leg. Uh, think the, you know, corners are doing okay. Safeties are great. Linebackers seem to be doing very well. Uh, and our defensive line looks excellent. Yes. I wish we had like one edge rusher, but Sam Dup Miller and Joe Gaziano are great ends. Those guys are both on pace for double digit tackles for loss right now. They're both on pace to get, you know, up by eight, nine, 10 sacks a piece. Um, there, I mean, we've got a good defense across all three phases. And it's just kind of like to, to your earlier points, Sam, uh, Scuzz, it's like, so where does that come from? Is that filtering down through fits? You know, why are things clicking across the defense? And yet, you know, we have multiple issues on the offense. Is that, is that, is that start at fits or does it start at Hankowitz just being a better job of that culture? Or is it each of the individual position coaches are just better than their equivalents on the offensive side of the ball? Like, where is it? And like, where do we need to make the change? So I, I, I do want to kind of bring it back to, uh, talking about this game on Saturday. I mean, these are conversations that we will continue to have as, as we move forward, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but, uh, a couple things, uh, takeaways from the Penn State game. I, I was all set to just go off the rails and go absolutely insane on James Franklin for, uh, continuing to run the offense when, you know, the, the game was clearly over, not taking a knee, throwing the ball deep, but I, I frankly don't care anymore. The targeting calls. Yeah. And that, that is what, we, I, I kind of just really want to touch on because that does directly affect this weekend's game uh, in Maryland. Oh, my blood pressure just went up 20 points. Sorry. 
Uh, no, it's all good. So I, I'll, I'll jump, I'll jump in first. Um, I, I created a little bit of, of back and forth on Twitter when I, um, proclaimed the Godwin one to be the worst, officially the worst targeting call I've ever seen. Uh, I tweeted that basically the exact same time that Teddy Greenstein was like, yep, that looks right. Um, I think Teddy is way off base. I, the, the Petty Miller one to me, or the Patty Fisher one to me was the letter of the law. Uh, he hit the quarterback in the face with the crown of his helmet. Um, it, it ne- neither one of these was the, the classic type of hit that they're trying to eliminate from the game with this rule, which is, uh, somebody coming across the middle to catch a ball and uh, a defender just leveling them with a shoulder to the helmet. By the way, that play happened like four times in the Michigan-Michigan State game in the second half, and nobody got called for targeting. Anyways, um, I'll try to stay calm here, but basically, the Patty Fisher one, it you know, it is what it is, whatever. The Godwin one, you could call it a late hit, you could call it a stupid tackle, you could call it unsportsmanlike contact, you could call it a lot of things. It was not targeting. Uh, in the process of lowering his his head and preparing to make a hit he realizes that the player is already down on the ground and is it basically was li- at head level it was literally not targeting it was he, literally a guy trying to not target he's he's trying to avoid that he he turns his head lowers his shoulder rolls and in the process of rolling like the like the thing that he made contact with was the ground and then rolled up into the def- into the offensive player the the back of his helmet hits the side of the offensive player's helmet, sort of, like in a grazing manner. And they call it effing targeting. Unreal. First of all, there were 17 other calls in that game that if that was targeting, should have been called targeting. Second, we'd already lost a player. Like, how do you, how do you call a, a fringe borderline call like that at best i went and looked at the at the at the rule book the 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 five things that they cite as targeting you have to either launch yourself upward into a player's head you have to to target the head with um with your shoulder or your helmet uh godwin did not do that clearly he did not do that and that he hit the ground first um it just it was it was so out of left field. The other thing I'll mention is that a lot of people on Twitter were saying, oh, well, that was a stupid penalty. He's a senior. What is he thinking? That's a late hit. That hit happens 20 times a game. A guy is going down near the boundary, and somebody else comes in and puts a shoulder in the middle of their back. Yeah, you're getting a lick in, a, in on a guy. Maybe it's a little unsportsmanlike. I don't know. It happens 20 friggin' times a game. This is not... It, and, and oh, like you I was said, so angry. like and I'm like still you said, so angry. You, you, and like you said, you want to call late hit, call late hit. Fine, it was a little late, but like when a guy is clearly, specifically trying to get out of the thing, he realizes he's committed himself to do. Uh, that's not targeting, and you know, and like you said, like the Patty Fisher one, I you know, I I can't defend it. I guess about sums up how I feel. Like I don't want to be like I don't want to come off as a homer. Uh, I'm, you know, it's the kind of situation where I suppose if it had been someone else, I'd be like, oh yeah, maybe it was targeting. It just, uh, you know, it's a classic case of letter of the law. I mean, basically like he came in, his helmet touched the quarterback's helmet. I get it. Okay. Targeting is, targeting is not like burglary where when you show up with a firearm, it becomes armed robbery and now it's a felony. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. The fact that the guy was down on the ground has no bearing on what the penalty should have been. Yeah. And, and again, I, 
when you literally hit a guy with the back of the helmet because you're trying to avoid doing targeting. I, you know, yeah, we could go on and on. And of course it matters pivoting forward just because these two guys are both going to be out. Luckily, uh, safety and linebacker happen to be areas where we've got a lot of good players. So um, I think, I mean, J.R. Pace, next man up, um, kind of gets his welcome to primetime moment. Um, the first of what I'm sure will be many starts for him. And for what it's worth, J.R. Pace looks awesome out there. The guy just looks like an awesome athlete. Got himself an interception a couple weeks ago. Um, I think he he's ready. And we also have McGee, who's also great. So um, guys are, are going to be stepping in to, to take the place of Godwin. And, and the, the linebackers, Hall, Fox, and Walsh, are all, you know, those guys are ready to step in and, and do their work too. So um, it's not horrible losses. It's just, just you hate to see Godwin, you know, have to miss even a half, especially since we're heading into this thing where, you know, Minnesota, Maryland, us, Iowa, what is anybody? We need to find out and, and we don't need to have any hands tied behind our back. So um, let's, let's talk about Maryland a little bit, uh, just kind of, Hard to take much away from their game last week. They lost to Ohio State 62-14. to They're on their third quarterback after their first two tour ACLs. Uh, Max Bortenschlager has looked average at best, 50% at, passing. At best. <laughs> um, and then there was, there was some talk that maybe he wasn't actually going to be uh, healthy enough to, to go. And they were, you know, possibly going with someone else uh their their last scholarship uh quarterback on on the roster was going to be playing some but uh yeah i mean after beating texas week one in texas maryland's season has gone awry and injuries have a lot to do with that yeah i mean pigrom was was instrumental in that win against texas he was uh he was electric Kasim Hill was, you know, as a true freshman, as a guy that uh, Northwestern recruited, really, really talented kid, and looked, you know, looked pretty decent. Losing him, they're now they're now scraping the bottom of the barrel. Um, Bortenschlager against uh, against Ohio State was abysmal, as as you can imagine. Against Minnesota, like they won, but he wasn't that great. Like sixty four percent completion. Uh, he threw two TDs, no picks. Um, he, he, you know, he rushed for eighteen yards. This is not a fast guy. This is not like Hill or uh, or Pigram who can do do some things with their feet. So he is gonna sit in the pocket and try to throw. And I really like our like our chances um, to to disrupt that a bit. The thing the thing you worry about with Maryland is they've got a, a good stable running backs: Ty Johnson, Lorenzo Harrison. Uh, are 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 both um, putting up putting up yards this season already, and DJ Moore at wide receiver is um, a a real major threat. But hopefully Hardage can uh, can pretty much shut him down. So you know they they've got some explosiveness. You know we're yeah. on the road For- at Maryland. Our offense has looked awful. Their defense is is abysmal. I mean they're 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 bottom of college football in almost every category. Uh, they do not pressure the QB. They do not get sacks. Like this is this is a decent matchup for the Cats to get uh, to get back on track. Kind of weird to see we're a three and a half point favorite on the road, as bad as we've played the last two weeks. That I think that says a lot more about uh, where Maryland is than where we are. I guess so. And again, it's 
the offensive line is such a disaster and the offense is such a, a three and out mess right now that it kind of was obscuring the fact that the defense played well in back-to-back weeks against great offenses. Or I guess maybe not Wisconsin, but Wisconsin can certainly run the ball. Um, and Penn State, of course, is a prolific offense. And meanwhile, Maryland, you know, scored 10 points against UCF, 14 points against Ohio State. Um, they picked up that, that road win against Minnesota, but it's starting to look like Minnesota might be a little bit of a mess this year. Um, and you know, Maryland, it's, it's quite possible neither of these teams can move the ball in this game. What you hope is that, you know, Maryland, this team that just got shelled for 62 points, um, you know, they gave up a hundred points combined to UCF and Ohio state. Granted, those are good football teams, but still, um, they gave up 41 points to Texas. You hope that, um, you know, that this off, that, that their defense is, is what we need at this point in terms of at least trying to, to get something on track offensively. Um, if it is, I could see us, you know, putting it on this game because again, poor Maryland, you know, the quarterback situation is just a total mess for them and we're a good D. And if they just can't move the ball on us, you know, maybe things finally start to click. I think if I was an impartial observer in this game, I'd be like, this is not one I want to watch. This is going to be like 15 to 10. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, I think there, there's definitely a chance we could be the team that gets it on track here. The one interesting thing to note is that against Minnesota, the Gophers did not do much on the ground. Um, other teams, Ohio State and UCF that played Maryland, did an enormous amount on the ground. So a um, little hard to figure out. I know they lost one of their one of their big defensive ends, one of their rush ends uh, early in the season, I think during the Texas game. So um that you know wouldn't wouldn't quite come into play as much on the running game but there's there's a lot of opportunity here if we can if we can figure our stuff out um i'm gonna i'm gonna go ballistic if by going back to the offensive line that we ran at the end of last season like things are solidified enough that jj could <laughs> things. I, like, God, i'm just I, i'm gonna like put my head in a vice and uh just pour whiskey all over myself like it was just a rope like it was just a rope a dope we oh we just God. like we were just gonna give up give away three losses so that the meat of our schedule didn't know it was coming and then we just like <laughs> it's brilliant brilliant what an amazing what an amazing con job huh. anyway it's it is good finally after a couple of weeks to be playing a team that that you know has serious problems coming in um and you know, and yes, it's on the road, but, um, you know, this, I mean, this is it. I mean, we now head into the, this giant mess. Minnesota is, I think, worse than we thought they would be. Michigan State is certainly better than we thought they were going to be. Um, but it's like Nebraska, are they a mess? Iowa, what have they got going on? You know, Maryland, what have they got? It's all just a giant jumble. And, you know, we're going to start finding out kind of what we're made of at this point. And, you know, to be fair, Going into the season, the Wisconsin Penn State back to back, we knew was going to be trouble. And I don't think any of us had expectations that we were going to win both games. So, you know, except for the, the Duke monstrosity, we're almost where we expected to be. It's just the way we got there is, as I think where, at least where my head is at, you know, I, I can stand losing if we put up a fight, you know, if, if we at least look like we're, you know, close, if we lost to a better team, I get that. Like Wisconsin, I, you know, 
we had an opportunity to come back and win that. We played three good quarters of football there and one bad quarter. Penn State, we played really great defense and no offense. So it's like, if we can put together four quarters on both sides of the ball, then this team really could be good. And, you know, we're fortunate to have a little bit of a softening of the schedule uh, from here on out. So, You, you know what that Penn State game kind of reminded me of after the fact was the feeling I had after we lost 49-7 at Iowa in 2014. It was, it was it was a game where it's the, the Justin Jackson first down run game. The the defense looked good early, and the offense could do literally nothing. And eventually, it just it all fell apart. And two weeks later, we went into Notre Dame and beat them in that in that insane game um, that that probably got Trevor his starting job in the NFL right now. I absolutely but got Trevor his I, job. Like that, like that. That was the one feeling I had Saturday night in amongst my misery that um, made me think, you know, hold on, hold on, like giving up on this team or this season, like that's not, that's not productive. Um, I I do think there's a conversation to be held about the staff and how, how they prioritize the concept of being competitive and, and you know, this uniqueness within college, the, the college football world of, of a team that's had their staff together for longer than anybody else, balancing that with the desire to truly compete for a division championship. And I, I'm getting to the, I'm getting to the place where I feel that if staff changes that are not made, it, it, it doesn't mean that they don't care about winning. It doesn't mean that they don't, you know, care about what the fans think, but it might mean that they, that they are content going eight and four and nine and three and not and not pushing for the 11 and ones and the the division championship right and again on the flip side if if that's not true and right now jim phillips is sitting around being like who am i gonna fire because someone is leave someone's butt is going out of this building then it's time to save your job people you got seven (laughs) you've got seven games to do it change the direction folks yeah uh, just kind of looking around the rest of the Big Ten this weekend, uh, no games really are jumping out at me as, my goodness, this is must-watch TV. Uh, you got Michigan at Indiana, Rutgers at Illinois, Purdue at Wisconsin, Ohio State at Rutgers Nebraska. at Illinois. Can, can I just jump in? Rutgers at Illinois opened as a, as Illinois a three-point favorite, and it I, quickly, went, quickly became a pick-em. So, so, so let's just it, rephrase. It's back to let's Illinois rephrase. as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. It was a favorite. Situ- it was a situation where gamblers looked and were like, oh, my God, I've got to bang Rutgers before the line moves. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Said no one ever until this week. Oh, my Lord. Ridiculous. I'll be So I'll be interested. I still – like, what's up with Michigan State? Did I just totally misread this team? Or do they just play out of their minds, uh, you know, when they're facing their hated rivals from Ann Arbor? You know where they play out of their minds in a monsoon. Oh, true. True, true. John, we we both said, we both said on last week's podcast, like, wow, I don't see how they score, but like maybe if, you know, they slog it up and it's a low scoring game, maybe they have a chance. Yeah. It's exactly what what they did. It's how they beat Ohio State two years ago, isn't it? It was was a carbon copy of that game. Right. And And the monsoon. 
Right. Yeah. So I got to I got to give him credit for dragging Michigan down into the muck. But can, so, can, I, can I add what the, like I don't know what the hell like if our offensive staff is garbled and our line is a mess. I don't know what the hell is going on in Ann Arbor because yeah they, they had John O'Corn throw close to forty times in a monsoon. Yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> but but I mean for Michigan State and Minnesota. Minnesota seems worse than I thought they were going to be. Michigan State seems better. Is that true, or are we going to find out no when they actually play each other? You know, is Michigan State going to put it on Minnesota in Minnesota, or is this going to be a really low-scoring game? I mean, these are these are the kind of questions that we're only kind of starting to get answered right now. Yeah, I, I'm. I feel pretty good about Michigan's run D. I I think that they are um, about Michigan State's run D. I think Lewerke. I've heard people describe him as, as being better this year. His numbers are, are decent. I just like, they don't really have anything on offense that scares you. And as you saw, like with Iowa, they basically, they shut down Iowa's run game. They shut down Michigan's run game. Um, They're, they're able to score enough on the other side. And I think against, you know, a Minnesota team that when they can't run, they have to rely on, on Connor Rhoda, who is just not a very good quarterback. I, I think Michigan State is made. They're not back in the sense that they're going to compete for a for a division championship yet. But I think they are have returned to the ranks of the living in the Big Ten, if you will. And if you can't pass effectively, they're going to beat you. So I have something else from this week that I want to highlight because of something I mentioned last week, sort of in jest, but not really in jest. So. Nebraska, who got smoked by Wisconsin last week uh, at home, um, now play Ohio State on the road. I mean, play Ohio State at home as well. And then they go into a bye week. First of all, I mean, that's Mike. I mean, Ohio dimes to dollars. Ohio State smokes Nebraska and then Mike Riley gets fired the next day. Right. I mean, they're heading into their bye week. If it's at least what Wisconsin did, 38 to 17 or worse, uh, I've got to think Riley gets fired the day after and then they try to sort it out in the next two weeks. And it almost seems like in some bizarre form of karma, Oregon State was ready for this because Gary Anderson just decided to not coach Oregon State anymore and just walked away from his contract with, as you showed us, Sammy, some of the most bizarre messages i've ever seen i don't know kind of hard to tell what's going on in gary anderson's mind he may not be in a sound place right now he left he left 12 and a half million dollars on the table just walked away from 12 and a half million dollars guys he he left wisconsin with a championship caliber team to go coach at oregon state (laughs) that is and now just left oregon state i the guy just might be a vagabond or something i don't know but anyway it all, all, everything seems to be just aligning itself for Mike Riley to end up right back where he started. And last week, I think kind of said in jest, you know, wouldn't everyone be happy with this situation if Oregon State could just get Mike Riley back right now, who at least wants to be at Oregon State and has been there for a long time and is well-liked there, uh, and Nebraska would be only too happy to kick him out the door. So I don't know if that's going to happen, but I mean, I'd say... I think it's a better than 50% chance he's fired within the next two, uh, you know, Sunday or Monday after that game. Because I think Ohio State's going to put it on him. They go into the bye, and he's gone. I'll take the the contrarian view that, that I think they'll have him last the season. I think people like him too much as a person to to can him midseason. And I don't – and, I, I mean, you look at their schedule, like, 
after Ohio State they have Purdue Northwestern Minnesota. Like I They're they're looking at not bowling right now, I think. They could they could win those three and get to six wins, but um I mean I guess if if they really think they're at risk of not bowling, then yeah, they th- that that would be the thing that they might can him for. But I mean, you gotta figure that they have their their sights set on Scott Frost, who's doing great things right. at Central Florida right now. And apparently, um Tom Osborne is his mentor or something like that. So that that connection is in place. I guess there's a there's a there's a new guy at work who's both a Nebraska and a UCF fan. Oh my! And he was he was telling me about how um, Osborne went down there and talked to the team and was like involved in camp and all this sort of sort of stuff. Like Nebraska's definitely hiring Scott Frost at the <laughs> yeah. end of the season. So <laughs> right. I, don't, I, right. I don't know that they. So it doesn't gain, really matter, right? Yeah, I don't know they gain much by firing Riley in the midst. True. Good point. Looking around the country, I, I again scanning through, and there's not a ton that's really jumping off the page. Um, looking, kind of you, you don't think Purdue, you don't think Purdue at Wisconsin could be interesting? Probably well, not. I'm I'm convinced Purdue is like a like a monster. Pur, Pur, I, I mean, I think Purdue's going to beat Nebraska at home. That's Purdue's going to sure. beat the hell out of us. Like, wh- like I Purdue Purdue's this is. Things are breaking the right way. Again, so many of these teams are in such a big gray area that I like my biggest question is, and this, but this goes to, to the game as well, is can Wisconsin continue to skate above the giant cluster that's going on in the rest of the Big Ten West? <laughs> like, or like, are they going to continue to glide above it or are they going to get pulled down into the muck? And this would be the first place where we get to find out. They are damn lucky they get Purdue in, in uh, Camp Randall. Because I'm telling you right now, guys, like, like, so I, I was flipping back and forth a little bit on Saturday and I happened to catch up a, a play where, uh, Purdue ran, I forget if it was a, it was, a, if it was a, a read option or if, um, Blau just pulled it down, but he, David Blau scampered for like 17 yards and lowered his shoulder at the end. I mean, like, like these, these kids believe they are, they are operating at a whole nother level with uh with Jeff Brome at the helm and it's not just the scheme it is he has um he has I have, changed the culture there i have to tip my hat to both of you guys cuz i did not see this coming and both of you particularly scuzz called it um and uh yeah so again like we're still early in the season but it certainly does seem like they're turning things around he's turning things around in purdue um i so my question is uh does so the the big game that I'm circling is everything I have seen about the Big 12 in the past, like, three years tells me Kansas State's beating TCU uh, on, <laughs> on Saturday. Uh, because that's like, about right. There, that's like that's happening. Kansas State's unranked. TCU is like the last man standing in that god awful conference, and I just feel like they're going to go in and fall right on their face at Kansas State, and we'll all be like, "Well, Big 12's done," and then we'll just move on again. Well, is is this where Texas? Ah, they're beats, not done. Is this where Texas beats Oklahoma in the Red River Shootout? I mean, but does it even matter anymore? I don't know. I mean, no, if, uh, I mean, no, no, no. no, no. It's whole, it, it it does matter because Oklahoma is in the exact situation that Ohio State was last year. They've taken a, a, a conference loss, um, but they have an early season victory over a, a massive player in another conference. And if they win out, they'll get in over, presumably, in Ohio State. 
if if Ohio State has one loss as well. Well, Ohio State already does have one loss to Oklahoma, duh. I, I was trying to think. I was kind of looking at it, and I was being, you know, I think Alabama, yes. I think the team I feel second, well, Clemson. So Alabama, Clemson, and then I feel really good about Washington too. I mean, that team's rolling over everybody um, and, you know, looking good. So, right, I guess, so it's it's a toss-up, you know, for me right now for that number four spot. But, of course, like anything could happen. I mean, for crying out loud, Iowa State beat Oklahoma at home. So, I mean, on the road. So, I, but, I, but, I certainly don't feel like Penn State's going to go undefeated after watching how they played against us yeah, and how they played against no, Iowa. No. Um, Ohio State, like – looks like a world beater until they play anybody with a spine and then who knows what's going to happen. Um, I mean, I, I do think, I mean, I think if Georgia's only losses to Alabama in the SEC championship game, I think they get in. Um, yeah. They, they, you could get two SEC teams like that and you could, I mean, it'd be it, like if, like if Oklahoma state runs the table from here on out and ends up 12 and one with two wins over Oklahoma and, who they lose to, they lost to TCU and TCU's ranked in, you know, the top 15 or something like that. That's interesting. It, it kind of comes down to this question again of, of like how much do you value the conference championship? Right. Like with the Penn state, Ohio state conundrum right. last yeah. year. Right. I mean, as of right now, I mean, we'll see how it shakes out, but I don't feel like this would be one of those seasons where if it was an eight team playoff, I'd be like, man, some bad teams are getting into that 18 playoff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we're getting closer and closer to the release of the first uh, playoff rankings. That what's that first week in November is it when we start to see that. Yeah, I think so. I think that's Something right. Like that. it's, so it's already creeping up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's at least on paper not the most exciting uh, slate of games nationally. But isn't it always the case that that's when crazy stuff happens? Watch yeah. out! Watch out! Miami, Georgia Tech. Oh, watch yeah. out! LSU, Auburn. Uh-huh. Watch out! Uh, well, no, not Arkansas. I was going to say you, you, Brett's gonna gonna, go well. you think Brett's going to go into Tuscaloosa? No, nope. I think I think Clemson but, is going into the mouth of hell in the Carrier Dome. They're not going to survive. <laughs> that now that would be amazing. Dino Babers. Yeah. Oh, that that would be, and that's a that's a Friday nighter. Yep. I mean. More more than likely, it's it's like, uh, yeah, they're going to have to open the side doors of the carrier dome to let the blood seep out. You mentioned Brett going into to Alabama, how that's not going to work out. Like th- Things ain't looking so good for Brett in Arkansas in no. general. And right. it leads me to, to circle back to that Gary Anderson stuff and say, why would you ever leave Wisconsin? I know. Yeah, so SEC money, man. SEC money. I I just I don't I mean but Big Ten Brett, money is Brett, not you could that have continued to party shirtless with with Wisconsin people like what were you thinking? <laughs> uh, so with that, let us uh, resume our quest for the Swally Grail. For my final thought, um, I you know I talked about it a little uh, on the pod last time, but we did put up a piece on the website about the Ed Kaihatsu First Midwest Bank billboard. I think we've had a lot of strong response in the fencing community. Um, a lot of people have, have read it. A lot of people have been interested. We thank you guys for checking it out, and hopefully, you know, that many more people, especially if you're Northwestern fencing people, check out the the pod as well. That'd be great. Um, but 
yeah, so I mean, it, it's just, it was just a really fun article to write. It's really cool to see it up there. It's really cool to see a positive response. And it's the first time since the Mississippi State article that we're seeing the page views from many foreign countries. We've got China. We've got a couple different European countries. Kind of an interesting way to track where the fencing community is located. So um, that was that was pretty cool. But yeah, so thanks for everyone who's been checking it out. And, and again, you know, if, if you if you like the article and you think you'll know other people who'll be interested in it, uh, feel free to pass it along. For my final thought, yet another scandal in college athletics. What? What? (laughs) Outside the Lines is now looking into Auburn and student-athletes getting tutored by mentors who were actually taking their tests for them. So we'll see how this plays out. But um, just another – I mean, I don't even know what what to do about it at this stage, but um, it's – you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about Louisville and the basketball scandal and the NCAA and how the FBI, well, you guys talked about it. I wasn't, I wasn't on the pod. Um, you guys talked about like, where's the NCAA and all this. And, uh, I, you know, the, the interesting thing in that case is that the FBI has actual like powers afforded to them by the the rule of the land. Um, I was just reading today. They issued a bunch of subpoenas, like Oklahoma state, like they're not messing around. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's legit. So, you know, the NCAA, like this sort of stuff is, is the, is, is about as far as they can go. Um, trying to clean things up, but man, it's, it ain't ever going to be clean folks. And that, I don't say that as like a cop out or, or to, uh, to accept it. I just, I don't know where, I don't know where, I don't know where we draw the line. And at what point you just say, screw it, let's just pay, pay the players and try to get this crap out of the, out of the system. That might be the most straightforward way. And that's a whole other discussion for another night. Um, uh, so for my final thought, uh, shout out to former Northwestern basketball star Reggie Hearn, uh, who was just signed to the Sacramento Kings uh, training camp roster. Uh, he's been playing in the uh, Sacramento's G League affiliate. I guess they, they renamed the Developmental League the G League. No idea why. No idea what it's for. Uh, Gatorade. I, you're absolutely right, I'm sure. Uh, but Hearn has been playing in Reno uh, for the last three seasons, uh, averaging thirteen and a half points per game. And uh, you know, I hear you know, I hear Reno's a fantastic place to live. I, it, you know, so, some might say that it is a magical place. It spoke to them, and they would never want to leave. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anywho, uh, Reggie Hearn uh, training camp with the uh, Sacramento Kings. So. Not sure if that'll turn into anything, but always good to see Northwestern basketball players uh, in the NBA, uh, even if it is just on the training camp roster. So, Bring back the beard. It's time for Sherna. <laughs> he, he deserves a place, too. Can we build the Kings roster entirely of Wildcats? That'd be amazing. Let's do it. What do the Kings have to lose? Not much. They, they already <laughs> lose enough. Uh, So on that note, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com. You can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. You can call our voicemail line at 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag 
because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scalzo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.